passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Super Bowl may be over, but you can make every game feel like the big game at Bet Bet BetOnline remains your number one source for all sports betting this season. Little bit of a down period here in the sports realm, but they have everything from pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and you'll receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's that easy. Just make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. We've got an awesome episode previewing the NFL Combine, which is officially underway as you are listening to this. I will be joined a little bit later on by Tori McElhaney of the team's official site, AtlantaFalcons.com. She does a great job covering the team, and she's been on here before, so you don't need me to tell you much more about her. I mean, she does great work if you're a Falcons fan. I'm sure you know who she is. So she's going to join me uh, in a few minutes here, and we're going to kind of just break down the combine from the standpoint of some of the biggest Falcon storylines going into it. You know, we'll touch on Kayla McGarry. We'll touch a little bit on Ryan Nielsen, um, and then just some other thoughts on what Tori is really interested in and looking for uh, as she heads to the event. She's actually at the event right now as you're listening to it. So we recorded on Monday. Uh, She's there now checking it all out. Um, but we will break it all down. Before we do that, also on Monday, the Falcons announced a bunch of coaching moves. Now, I'm not going to get to all of them specifically by name because a number of them were just kind of assistant, like low-level assistant hirings, Um, but there were some notable kind of higher-up assistant hirings and then full-on position coaches. So we'll start with some of the uh, full-on position coaches, which... Steve Jackson, who joined the uh, Falcons last year in 2022 as a senior offensive assistant, which is interesting and notable because he played in the league as a uh, as a defensive back. His coaching background is on the defensive side of the ball. So you're probably like, why would they bring him on as an offensive assistant? Well, that's something that teams like to do, and they like to have somebody in the offensive meeting room who can speak 
from a defensive perspective and basically say, look, you guys are going to try to do this, but this is what we would do to counter that. Or, hey, this is a glaring weakness that you guys have until you can figure out a way to stop this. We're just going to attack a day, a day in and day out and, and you can't do anything. So they like that change of, of perspective. And then it also rounds out a coaching tree. You know, it rounds out or a coach's skill set, I guess I should say, not a coaching tree because that means something entirely different, more like a skill set tree. I need to stop playing video games. Um, it allows a coach to, you know, also gain different perspectives, also hear and learn as a, as a defensive guy. All right, our offense is designing their uh, plan of attack each week and how can I better stop it as a defensive coach? So it's not a, a super surprising move to see him go back over to the defensive side of the ball. Really curious to see how that works out, but that's an in-house, um, I guess, hiring for a full-on position coach and Steve Jackson is now coaching the secondary. Um, Ryan Nielsen, the defensive coordinator who came over from New Orleans, has been you know, officially kind of named as the guy who will oversee the defensive line not a surprise there. That is his background. That is his bread and butter. Part of the reason why he got a defensive coordinator job in the first place is because of the success that New Orleans had with their defensive line and crucially developing their defensive line. Ashton Edmonds, uh, another actually Tory's coworker over at AtlantaFalcons.com had a, a piece up basically after a, an exclusive interview with Arthur Smith talking about a lot of these moves. Um, and he really just said it was Ryan Nielsen's ability to develop and and really grow some of these players. They obviously are, are investing in their defense. We expect another crop of young guys on the defensive side of the ball for Atlanta here. Be nice to have somebody who knows how to get the most out of them over a period of time and not just maybe flash in the pan or, or we have a great ball of clay and we have nobody to mold it. So that's something that that I think rightfully so stood out to Arthur Smith and he will put Ryan Nielsen in a position to kind of do what he does best, even though he will now be tasked with overseeing the whole defense. Um, Dave Ragone, similarly on the offense, he's going to go back to his bread and butter, which is coaching quarterback. So he will, in addition to being the offensive coordinator, but again, not the play caller because Arthur Smith is, is still the play caller, but he is the offensive coordinator and will also now be the quarterback's coach. So he'll be working directly with Desmond Ritter and any quarterbacks that the Falcons decide to add this offseason, but that's not a surprise either. His background in Chicago and in his playing days is as a quarterback. So, you know, again, it's a situation where Arthur Smith is putting guys, you know, one he's worked with previously, David Gone, but somebody else who seems to be a very like mind uh, in Ryan Nielsen, he's putting a lot of faith in those two guys and a lot of trust, but, you know, let's see if, if it all kind of pans out there. A couple other uh, assistant hirings I do want to mention Dave Huxtable is going to be uh, joining the Falcons as a senior defensive assistant, which is notable because he has, yeah, according to the, the press release, the team sent out the 40 seasons of, of college coaching experience. And it's obviously a lot. <laughs> 18 of those came as a defensive coordinator. And so this is maybe filling some of that void that losing a Dean Pease creates, right? If you want to be multiple on defense, you got to have a lot of experience on your staff. You've got to have guys who are able to say, look, I remember something from, from back in, in the day when this was in vogue, when teams were doing all of this different stuff, because it's all cyclical in the NFL. You know, what's, 
what's new, what's old is new again and all of that stuff. And, and it just kind of repeats. There's just little variations um, on everything. But generally, you know, somebody will have seen something before. And it's why a lot of the good defensive coordinators, you know, stick around and they stick in that role for like 35, 40 years. And you see it, you know how to stop it. You can kind of pull something out, dust it off and, and speak to that. So I think that that is a large part of, of this hiring, but also he was most recently an analyst for Alabama the last couple of seasons. He was also uh, an analyst on Texas's staff with uh, Steve Sarkeesian before that. So that is valuable. We've seen some analysts uh, from their time at, at Alabama go on to be pretty successful in, in and of their own right. And that's a unique experience that he received to, again, work with an accumulated collection of, of defensive minds that he can draw and learn from. So I think that that is valuable. And then a big part of this hire, I have to imagine, is that Dave Huxtable uh, directly coached Ryan Nielsen and offensive line coach Dwayne Ledford when he was uh, the defensive coordinator at NC State for uh, seven, seven seasons from 2013 to 2019. So obviously there is a lot of familiarity between Ryan Nielsen and, and Dwayne Ledford, another coach on the staff, and Dave Huxtable, who they're going to bring in that probably played a large part in it. But again, the experience that he brings on the defensive side of the ball paired with that level of comfort. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me why you would want him um, in the building. So that's kind of the, the big one, I think, outside of the named position coaches. I could run through the whole list. Honestly, I would probably butcher something or just you guys don't want to hear me read a bunch of names. That's kind of not what's great about podcasting, but I think I'll leave you guys with this before we get to my conversation with Tori. There's a chance that this is exactly what the Falcons kind of needed and could have hoped for right now that Dean Pease, yes, retiring a year earlier than maybe anticipated. It does align you really well with this free agency window. The Falcons currently have the second most cap space. They've now made a bunch of coaching staff changes, one being their defensive coordinator. And what Ryan Nielsen wants to do remains to be seen, but it seems as though it's going to be a very similar hybrid approach that Arthur Smith ultimately wants his defense to have, which means that they should be able to use some of the players. I'm sure that they're going to get some different body types because everybody has a flavor that they want regardless of you know, ultimately what, what kind of like the head coach envisions the play caller and the, the coordinator does have their little flares that they're going to add to that, to that gumbo. So that remains to be seen exactly what he's going to bring there, but they can do this at a time when he can get all of the, if we're going to continue and extend this, this cooking metaphor, he can get all of the ingredients or most of the ingredients that he wants. He's not inheriting, you know, let's say this is next off season. And the Falcons spent a lot of this money on the defensive side of the ball, but they did it with kind of Dean Pease's vision in mind or another defensive coordinator. Or let's say, you know, after two years, when a first time head coach is making this many kind of staff shifts, it's usually kind of out of danger. Like there's there's a sign that trouble is is brewing and that the storm clouds are gathering and it's usually done proactively to try to extend maybe your run. Not always, but most of the time, that's when you see this level of, of staff turnover. That's not really the case here. Arthur Smith, yeah, he's yet to reach the playoffs and the NFC South has been down 
But he has done some really good things, I think. If you were able to look at it more from less from a, a result standpoint and more just a quality on the field week in and week out, they are in all of these games. They have great game planning. I genuinely think that they've been able to stick true to what they've said from the beginning that they kind of wanted to do. But here's the point. They will either have a plan in place that they can execute and we'll be looking back and saying, man, they really turned the big ship slowly. But that final third this offseason, they got it where they needed to go. They got the defensive coordinator in the building to really kind of jumpstart this defense. They had the resources to really give the tools on that side of the ball that he needed. And it's not a little bit of a mismatch thing where now Dean Pease is retired and somebody else is coming in inheriting this stuff. Maybe they're able to really hit the ground going on defense this season and not to say they wouldn't have if Dean Pease was still there because the end of the year run that they made on that side of the ball was awesome. You just have a lot of free agents kind of leaving. You've got this money. And now you've got a staff in place that you have been able to handpick two years into the process, knowing the strengths and weaknesses, having a much better understanding of the talents on that side of the ball. So you can put guys in place that you really believe belong there and can make it better. And now you get to go spend all of that money to go get the guys who can work with these coaches and ultimately, hopefully, at least put them on a similar trajectory to the way we feel like the offense is and has been over the last couple of years. So that's all I'm going to leave you guys with. I know that was a lot, but the coaching staff changes finally have been resolved. And now we know what it looks like moving forward. So I just want to share my thoughts on that before we get into more NFL draft talk and speculating about the future even more. And we're going to do that with Tori McElhaney right now. Hey there, me again. Um, so I recorded the intro, the podcast, everything had it good to go Monday, foolish of me knowing that so much news could be coming out of the combine on Tuesday. It was announced that the Falcons have released Marcus Mariota, the long expected and frankly, unsurprising decision because it saves, you know, about $12 million in cap space for the Falcons who now after the move are up above $65 million in cap space for this upcoming offseason. Uh, it's still second behind the Chicago Bears, but again, they add a good amount um, of more cap space to attack this offseason. The main thing, because ultimately, Mark Mariota's time with the team won't be remembered. I mean, it's not really going to be deemed a success. I don't know if it will be judged an outright failure because the team did kind of overperform relative to expectations, even though down the stretch and, and certainly once they got through that first kind of seven game brutal slate and you felt pretty good about where they were and where they were kind of coming out of that, then they faded when they started coming up against some of the teams that, you know, they should have maybe beaten looking on paper. It's like they they did well in the hard stuff and then they got to some of the easier stuff and that's when they started tripping up. But I think part of that has to do with just the limitations of the player bumping up against what was a really creative and diverse scheme. And that is what I think should ultimately be remembered from this uh, process. You know, I think seeing Arthur Smith run an offense for Marcus Mariota really cemented in my mind that he has just an incredible amount of kind of wealth of knowledge, I think, and that he is humble enough to accept, hey, we may not be able to play this way. We've got to play another way to win. So how do we do that to the best of our ability? 
he totally kind of created an offense unlike one that I'd seen in Atlanta in a long, long time, but also one that I hadn't really seen too many times kind of in the NFL, like going week to week and changing what they do really seemingly not on the fly, but like in between these games from week 12 to week 13, you'd see him be heavy pistol formation in week 12, then kind of come out and all right, here we are in, in much more of a drop back passing game shotgun. I don't know if those weeks are exactly, I just pulled some weeks out of uh, thin air, but you get my point. It was the game to game management while also figuring out a way to be successful with the limitations that they had on offense. Not only did he turn the Falcons running game into one of the best in the NFL and one of the most, if not the most consistently excellent run unit in the NFL, he had this offense for a good bit. That first seven weeks that I'm kind of talking about, they were way up there among NFL teams in terms of expected points added, according to football outsiders. So on a per play basis, they were doing things on offense to win games, even though they were kind of largely outmatched, I think. And especially when you look at the quarterback position and how important that is. Ultimately, Marcus Mariota's ability to run the football opened up some things, but his inability to throw it consistently and certainly deep down the field ultimately kind of cost this offense and cost him his job and is the reason that they moved on to Desmond Ritter. So that's why they folded down the stretch. But what I saw from the first little bit with Marcus Mariota at the helm for the Atlanta Falcons at quarterback kind of proved to me that Arthur Smith like isn't just a good play caller, isn't just a good offensive mind. Like He is a great one. He is creative. He can rely on a lot of different things. He's got a lot of clubs in the bag. And he's able to kind of be flexible and, and change some things week to week and dial some things back and figure out um, the right recipe for each Sunday. So that's kind of all I'm going to say about Marcus Mariota because I've talked long enough and you guys want to hear Tori, I'm sure. I just wanted to pop in because that news happened today. Didn't want to not address it for a, a whole week. So I hope you guys don't mind um, me delaying this a little bit further. Not a surprising move, again, because it saves them so much money in cap space. But hey, now we don't have to talk about it anymore. Marcus Mariota, no longer an Atlanta Falcon. We will see what they do at the quarterback position. Reports indicate that they're more likely to go the free agency route as opposed to taking one at number eight. Maybe they take another one later on in the draft. Who knows? Like anything could happen. It does seem more likely that they go that veteran journeyman mid-tier route. Um, so stay tuned on that. Marcus Mariota gone. Let's get to Tori. Tori McElhaney, who does an amazing job covering the team for AtlantaFalcons.com, joins me now. You can follow her on Twitter at Tori underscore McElhaney. She is getting ready to head to the NFL Combine uh, sometime later today as we record on a Monday. But how are you doing, Tori? Thank you for uh, taking a quick second to do this with me. Yeah, no, I'm doing good. You know, we're about to really kind of hit into a new gear, you know, with the combine and then you kind of have a week to get ready for free agency and then free agency starts. And once that starts, because the Falcons are in such a like different stratosphere in terms of how much money they have, you're kind of approaching free agency very differently. So it's about to be a busy kind of month and a half. <laughs> it's but it's like an exciting kind of busy, but definitely the way that like the NFL is not doing any favors for anybody except themselves, no. because like they're owning the whole calendar year. But then that also means that you're like thrown around for for half of the year. You've got the season. 
Yeah. You've got a couple months of training camp. That's all well and good. But like now this period is where it gets crazy. You go from after the season, like Super Bowl week, everybody's talking about the Super Bowl teams. Then you get like a two week cram session on the draft. And yeah. then it's the combine. And then it's free agency for two or three weeks. And then it's back to the draft. And then it's the actual. It's like it's all over the place. So I, I can't even never imagine stop. how yeah, <laughs> worn out you are right now. But what's as you get ready to to board a plane to head to Indy for the biggest convention in the NFL? Um, what's top of your mind for the Falcons? Yeah, I think for me, it's just trying to continue to take the next steps to get to know some of these guys. The Falcons had like a really good opportunity because they were the coaching staff that coached one of the teams in the Shrine Bowl back at the end of January. And I think that was such a good like jumping off point for everything else because there were a lot of guys who... They actually got to coach like, you know, you you get to see these guys and you get to watch them work out and you get to kind of have those interviews. But they saw and worked with these guys and coached them for a week. And I think that is uh, I don't know. I I think that there's a lot that can be said about that opportunity for the Falcons. And I'm curious kind of if when we do get to the weekend of the draft, if we see a connection between the connections that they made at the Shrine Bowl in kind of what they end up doing. But I think it set them up really well to go into the combine and kind of have a very specific game plan to be like, hey, here's who we saw at the Senior Bowl. Here's who we saw at the Shrine Bowl. What do we want to focus on? And kind of what's our roadmap to go through the combine? And I think they, I feel as though the Falcons will have a very specific game plan in, in how they want to attack the combine and what position groups they really, really want to focus in on because I think the combine can be a bit overwhelming if you don't go in there with like a very, very specific plan. So I think the Falcons are probably in a really good spot because of the connections that I feel like they've already made at the Shrine Bowl. That's it's a great point. And it's something kind of to what I said earlier about how it's getting so crazy this time of year with the NFL just loading more and more and, you know, now with the senior bowl growing and becoming bigger and the shrine bowl is probably going to follow suit. Like just, there's so many things for teams to focus on that you kind of can't do it all. And we have started to see recently more and more teams electing not to send people to the combine and choosing to use that time elsewhere. Certainly as we've seen virtual interviews become more of a thing and more commonplace in the league, it feels less um, like a necessity, I guess, to be there in person and, and shaking hands. If you can use that time, more efficiently elsewhere. And that's kind of the name of the game um, for the NFL. Do you think that you could see a point where the Falcons are maybe one of those teams that say, Hey, let's approach this as, you know, more uh, smarter, I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for lack of a better word, but just like, yeah, let's do it. Right. Different. Yeah. I maybe at some point, but I think right now the Falcons are very, this front office, especially in this coaching staff, really like the in-person, like getting to know somebody in person. Like they, I mm-hmm. think they put a lot of value into that. Like even I think about this, like the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl were happening almost kind of simultaneously, the yes. practices and the games. There was kind of a three or four day period of overlap between those two things. Well, you think about the Falcons history at the Senior Bowl, these last two years under this front office, they have drafted. 10 players from the senior bowl in the last two <laughs> yeah. years. That is a very important, uh, Terry Fontenot calls them um, like touch points is what he calls like 
the senior yeah. bowl, the draft, the pro days, he's all there those. in person and can actually touch them, shake right. their hand. Yes, exactly. So like a t- he calls them a touch point because that's how he views it. And so he always says like, I mean, you look at their history the last two years, the senior bowl was such an important touch point. Well, yeah. you have this like significant overlap with the shrine bowl that all the coaching staff is all out in Las Vegas for the shrine bowl. And it's like, Oh shoot, what do we do? Like we have everybody out there. Well, it, it was one of those things where they had to kind of almost play air traffic control to be like, okay, <laughs> who? Are, what's the group that we're sending to the senior bowl? What's the group that we're yeah. sending to the shrine bowl? How are we overlapping? Who's going to both? I mean, it really was a situation where they wanted to have representation at both locations. So for the Falcons, I don't know if it's a situation where, you know, in the future they kind of taper back on these touch points because I know yeah. how important I mean, they use the word touch points like that, that (laughs) just that word in and of itself makes me think that maybe the Falcons wouldn't be a group that would care to do that. Yeah, that they still value that like, hey, look a person in the eye. I can gauge you much better if if I'm seeing how you walk in the room, how you leave the room as opposed to just like, boom, the camera turns on and and there's a smiling face at me. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to. Yeah, I think, too, like they're so big on like the interview process and like getting to know like the character of a guy. And I know a lot of that is the back work of the area scouts, but even in the same breath, it's like when you go to the, the combine, you have 15 minutes of these like speed dating interviews and and anyone can trick somebody into thinking they're God's gift to whatever for 15 (laughs) minutes. So it's really important. I think for them to continue to like meet with these guys. And I think the pro days are also like really, really important for that as well. So Mm-hmm. I, I, the Falcons are just really big on like being in person, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a theme since Arthur Smith and Terry Fano took over is the character in the locker room. We're going to be very, yes, we've got this big pile of money to spend. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we're just going to go bring in the most talented guys. We need to bring in guys who are going to work, continue to get better, kind of buy into what we're selling. I think somebody that has proven, you know, at least this last season, especially that he can do that as Caleb McGarry. And yeah. We saw that they declined to pick up his fifth year option, even as they picked up Chris Lindstrom's fifth year option, you know, his draft mate. And obviously that was no surprise. That was the right move to make. But now with the leap that Caleb McGarry made in his kind of contract year, and he's set to become a free agent, like where do you think the Falcons are with him? Do you think they were impressed enough by the growth that he showed, particularly as a run blocker? And we know that Arthur Smith wants that to be the bread and butter of this offense. Like, do you think he should be part of their long-term plan after what we saw this past year? Do you think it gets dicey because they chose not to pick up that fifth year option? And now, you know, he's got to say in what happens as well. Right. Yeah. So first off, I think that Caleb McGarry's trajectory in 2022 is something and his storyline, honestly, is something that not, I think a lot of people are talking about. I think we're talking a lot about, Kayla McGarry in this last year and how impressive he was and how well he played. But to see, I mean, you know what he was his first yeah. couple of years in Atlanta to what he is now. I mean, I just see very obvious growth. And the jump yeah. that he made, I think, is in this past year is evident of that. And I wish more people were talking about the full scope of his years in Atlanta and maybe not mm-hmm. just like this one, because this one year, I think, puts into perspective everything. And I, and that's always kind of what I I like to tell people is like, this is a really interesting way to look at 
Caleb McGarry. But to answer your question personally, I want to see the Falcons keep this offensive line together from 2022 into 2023. I don't know how you do that. I don't know if you can <laughs> allocate funds accordingly. I don't, I, and, and I say this too, and the biggest problem I have with, I, it, here's the thing, if it's me making the decision, I want to keep Caleb McGarry. I do. But I'm not making the decisions. I'm not paying the big bucks right. to do that. There are a lot of other people who are. And the thing is, the worry point that I have is that like, okay, you're paying Caleb McGarry. You've already paid, you're paying Jake Matthews in this scenario. You're also, gosh, you, you're going to want to keep Chris Lindstrom in Atlanta for a while. Like yep. just period, bar none. You want to get an extra. Yeah. A pillar. Yes. 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 You want to do what you got to do to keep one one of the best, if not the best guard in the league in Atlanta. Yep. Then you have Drew Dahlman, who's still on his rookie year and Elijah Wilkinson, you know, signed a one year deal. That position has been in flux for so long. Anyways, it's not, you know, here or there, but the core of this offensive line, I want to see be kept together. Now that's of course me personally, but the problem is, is you do have, all of that money going into this one position group when you have so many other position groups that you ideally need to pump some money into as well. I mean, I just think about the opposite on the other line of scrimmage. You know, this defensive line has got to have some money pumped into it at edge rusher and in the interior. So can you allocate funds accordingly to make it work for you where you're not get putting yourself in a hole by signing these multi-year deals for guys like Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom that are going to be very expensive. Like they just are like, you look at Caleb McGarry's market value now that, you know, the fifth, fifth year option wasn't picked up. You look at what Chris Lindstrom is probably going to go for. Like that is (laughs) just like crazy. And so you think about all that money. It's like, can they make it work if they can make it work and it can be in a, it can keep the cap in a healthy position this year and moving forward into the years ahead, then I say, do it. I that's but that's <laughs> just me personally. I I just yeah. I just think there's a lot of value in keeping Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry beside each other. I agree. I think I think if you keep those two guys side by side, they obviously are, are close. They've they've got a great relationship and they play well together. And they know that continuity is very valuable. But yeah, I think you're getting at something that is at the heart of a little bit what got you know. Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn in trouble, which was the connection to these players that fans really had built a relationship with and that you want to see rewarded, even though it's like, are you paying for what was happening previously? Or are you paying right. for what you expect to be their better years? And also, I mean, we've got Kyle Pitts and Drake London. I mean, yeah, they're still on their rookie deals and, and there's the fifth year option there as well. So there's more long-term flexibility, but at some point, these skill position guys that you're starting to draft, you're going to have to maybe pay them and to have, you know, an offensive line that right now is is mostly veterans. Yeah, you've got a couple young guys like Drew Dahlman and Matt Hennessy, but you know, most of their starters last year were were guys on the last year of their rookie contract or guys, you know, kind of veterans like Jake Matthews or Elijah Wilkinson. So yeah, there, there's going to be some math that definitely comes into play here. But I think that Kayla McGarry is somebody who that growth is real. And I remember yeah. watching him kind of in two games in three weeks when the Falcons were doing that weird stuff like in 2019 or whatever. And it was the Saints. And so Cameron Jordan, uh, yeah. and he was going up against Cameron Jordan back to back. And I asked Dirk Cutter, I think, in the lead up to the second matchup, like, is there something you can learn about a young player when they play the same team and the same person so close together? Because like this year you have the Saints in week one and then you've got them again in like week 
16 or 17. It's yeah, totally two different. totally different teams that are playing yeah. each other. Yeah. But it's like a coach, you're looking at that direct mirroring opportunity where you're like, cool, mm-hmm. here's how you played against Cam Jordan the first week. And now you got him two weeks later. Try this. Let's see if you improve. And, and he did, I think, took a little bit of a step forward in that game, that second game. So I think, yeah, it's like Caleb McGarry has shown a track record of being able to get better. So maybe this is an area where you are paying for future play and not just um, pass play. So yeah, I, I am fully on board with uh, bringing him around. Do you think, and let's maybe use this as an opportunity to flip to the defense because mm-hmm. the money's going to come into play. Are they truly looking to add players like everywhere on the defense, go get another corner, go get obviously a number one pass rusher, but like Jesse Bates is a player that a lot of people are connecting to the Falcons is maybe the top safety available. They've got Jalen Hawkins. They've got Richie Grant, you know, like, do they look to upgrade there? What, what are your thoughts on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I think it starts as close as you can get to the ball. And then in terms of priority, that yeah, to me is like the close. Yeah, the closer you are to the ball, the higher priority I'm putting on the Falcons going after you. And then it kind of tapers <laughs> off as you get farther and farther and nose away. tackle. We need a zero technique <laughs> nose tackle. Go yeah. spend all the money. To all the money. All of it. <laughs> But I do think it's true. Like, I think the Falcons, I think in terms of expectations for free agency, I think the Falcons are going to be in a lot of these conversations for some of these, you know, defensive linemen that are going to hit the market. And I I think they're also going to be in conversations with edge rushers. I mean, I know you still have uh, Arnold Ebicati and D'Angelo Malone, but Mm -hmm. you look at what Ryan Nielsen is, and I know we're going to get more into Ryan Nielsen later, but you look at what Ryan Nielsen had in New Orleans when he was with the Saints and kind of yep. the the Cam Jordans of the world, the Trey Hendrickson's of the world. Like those were the types of bodies that he had as at his disposal in New Orleans. And it's like the Falcons, I think, are really putting a heavy priority on getting this defensive line bigger and more fearful. Like that was something that I've talked about a few times is that with this Falcons defense, you need more players who strike fear into opposing offensive coordinators and just offenses. That is where I feel like the Falcons need to move into that realm of being And why is feared. that important? Why is that important? It's important because I think you look at a guy like Grady Jarrett. Look at Grady Jarrett, and he is someone who I think strikes fear into opposing offenses. Why do I know this? Because you turn on the tape and literally the man is being doubled and triple teamed every other play. So this is someone who has to be accounted for every single play. The Falcons need more of those type of players that have to be accounted for that you can that you really have to be like, okay, here's our blocking scheme. Like, are we going to put three people on Grady Jarrett? Well, we can't do that because X, Y, or Z are over here. Like we can't leave them in one-on-one situations. Like you have to be able to put that together in order to be a defense that attacks the way that I think Ryan Nielsen wants them to attack. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit in, when you look at what Dan Quinn's philosophy was, which was we're going to free these guys up to play fast. We're going to be simple. We're going to know what we want to do. And we're really just going to do a couple of things, but we're going to try to do them very well. And ultimately we'll want athletes and instinctive players who can go make plays, create turnovers, things like that. Then you get Dean Pease in here and it's all about as Jalen Hawkins liked to say the one eleven. you know, it's like Mm -hmm. we were your one piece of the 11 and you got to do your job at a high level and trust the other 10 guys to do their job. And ultimately then as a defense, 
you have success. But it kind of sounds like, you know, you're saying, and I think I agree, and I think a lot of Falcons fans have been saying this for a long time. It's like, we need guys who can operate outside of any system. You know, when we yeah. get into training camp and it's all about getting guys to buy in and believe and play, do their job. It's like, yeah, but we sit here and we talk about guys who on a single play can just wreck the game right. by himself. <laughs> like, that's not playing in a scheme. That's not right. setting up your teammate. That's going and making a play. So are there any guys out there that like, I know it's really early and we're still kind of getting a feel for the free agency landscape, but like, are there guys out there right now is Marcus Davenport with his connection to yeah. Ryan Nielsen and Terry Fontenot. Like, is he that type of player? Cause I don't know if you necessarily have a true one, a alpha, like a Brandon Graham in his prime or a Michael Bennett right. or somebody like that out there. But is there anybody catching your eye? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I look at a guy like Marcus Davenport and I, I feel, I mean, it'll be interesting to see kind of if the Falcons would prioritize him because of the connection, like what you're saying with Ryan yeah. Nielsen and, or do they just stay away because they know what, like, right. they'll know better than anybody, whatever exactly. they decide to do. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the whole thing. It's like, well, would Ryan Nielsen even want Marcus Davenport in this right. defense in Atlanta? You know, like, that's, we don't know any of that right now. And <laughs> yeah. I I think I'll know a lot of people, um, Darren Payne uh, at Washington, I know that's a, a name that a yep. lot of people have been, like, kind of clamoring for a little bit. I don't yeah. hate that. Like, I, I've yeah. tried... Like I've tried looking into, you know, even though kind of more focused on the draft right now, I've tried right. kind of just, you know, looking into some things. I don't hate that idea. I don't hate like the, the, if you had, if you had him and Grady and then Taquan Graham too. Graham is the yeah. wild card there. Cause it's like, do they see him being a potential four, three end? Like right. it's all about that versatility. Where do they see one of those guys? Cause then that opens you up to bring in a Duran Payne or a, yeah, um, like a Dalvin Tomlinson, who's a little bit of yes. a different, but like it allows you to, like you said, get closer to the ball, get guys yes. closer to the ball. Yeah. yeah. And I think that to me is where you start. And then you kind of, I think personally, I'd like to see them go cornerback in the draft pretty high in the first couple of rounds. Mm -hmm. If it, if it's me, uh, just because <laughs> you, I know we haven't touched on that position group, but AJ Terrell, you've got to keep him in Atlanta longer like you've got to now is the time to strike a deal with him for a few more years in mm -hmm. my opinion he's not getting any cheaper <laughs> so if you're gonna do it you gotta do it really really yeah. soon Casey Award only has one more year he is uh I mean I I would think he would retire in Atlanta after the end of this contract and I think sure. yeah. he'd walk off into the sunset feeling good um but that's one year and you have to, because of the fluctuation that we saw at that cornerback position in this past year, I think this past year really showed you that kind of cornerback has to be more more of a priority this yep. offseason because you didn't have Casey Hayward for majority of the year, and it kind of was a musical chair situation opposite A.J. Terrell at that other cornerback spot. So go find someone who in a year can really grow behind Casey Hayward who can go out and be a true starter in 2024. Yeah, depth in the secondary definitely came into play in a big way. And I mean, I was on the one hand kind of impressed with guys like Cornell Armstrong and, and D. Alford yeah. and these guys who I had no real uh, prior notion of. And right. I think they played pretty well. But uh, again, like that's the Falcons have higher expectations for themselves than seven and 10. And they need yep. better depth pieces, competition everywhere, talent everywhere, as Terry Fontenot likes to say. So let's let's end though with Ryan Nielsen. If they, yes. you know, give him a, a, a new toy to work with in the first round, like 
how do you, what, what kind of vibe do you get from this guy? Like, what is he, you got to sit down and talk with him, go check that out on AtlantaFalcons.com. But what, what, what's he like? Yeah. So I, I wrote this his first day in Atlanta and I felt it was very, very true after getting to know him, but he is cut from the same cloth as Arthur Smith. You look at their careers and not just their careers as coaches, but also as players. Arthur Smith was an offensive lineman at North Carolina. Almost at the exact same time, Ryan Nielsen is on the other side in California playing defensive line for USC. So these are guys who are brought up at the line of scrimmage. And then you look at the trajectory of their actual careers and everything that is said about these guys, how they want hard, nasty, big, tough, physical offensive linemen and mm -hmm. defensive linemen for Ryan Nielsen. And that was in everything that I read about Ryan Nielsen in the moments kind of leading up to actually getting to meet him and yeah. then actually getting to meet him and hearing what he had to say in our podcast and in his introductory video and then also in his introductory press conference. This is a guy who is putting heavy, heavy emphasis on what he knows, which is this defensive line. And I think that was one of the main reasons that the Falcons went with Ryan Nielsen is because there is kind of this common thinking with Arthur Smith and Ryan Nielsen to be like, we want to make the line of scrimmage a war zone for people yeah. who play <laughs> us. And I, I, I think, yeah, like I think that's like where they are though. That's how they think. And um, knowing how much money is going to be pumped into this defensive line, I feel like this offseason, whether it is via cap capital or draft capital, whichever way they decide, there's going to be a lot that's pumped into, I think, that defensive line. And I think if you're Ryan Nielsen, you're really excited about that because mm -hmm. he's known to be a developer. And you, like in terms of developing guys to play the way that, to kind of get the best out of guys. You think about a guy yeah. like Carl Granderson, like get developing him, getting the best out of him. I mean, I'll use the example again of Trey Hendrickson yeah, and, and developing example. him, right. Developing him, getting him where he could sign a huge contract when he hit free agency. So all those things to say that I think Ryan Nielsen and Arthur Smith are kind of like, they go hand in hand in my eyes. Like they, they really yeah. are kind of like cut from the same cloth and, and feel very similarly about the way that they want to build their respective units. Well, I mean, we saw the work that uh, Arthur Smith had on, on his unit and really taking Atlanta's offensive line from uh, just a couple of years ago, maybe the number one issue, like up there with pass rush for sure. Yeah. And now they're one of the most dominant run blocking units um, in the NFL. So who knows, maybe Ryan Nielsen can do something similar on the defensive side. It's been long overdue. Um, but Tori, before I let you go really, really quickly, do you have a favorite combine event? Oh, man. I mean, I like. I really like the uh, it's not necessarily the interviews that we see, but I like mm -hmm. the interviews in the suites and then also the interviews that are done kind of just like out and about, like with these players and stuff when they like just at the podiums. Yeah, like yeah, when they're when when they're not in front of cameras and stuff like that, like hearing people talk about those moments of getting to know these players, like that's not yeah. an event, 
It's not on field workouts. It's, well, it's not, an event for, for, for the reporters. It's an right. event for the teams. Like that's, that's really what they care that's about. What they're, yeah, that's what they're there for. But it's not the bench press or anything like that, which the bench press, I do enjoy watching the bench press. Like it, as like I'm kind of like coaches walking around. Watch the, watch the bench press. press. Because they're all in these little tiny bleachers. And it's like, there's Mike Tomlin sitting next to Ron Rivera and like Dan Quinn's over there. And it's like, they're yeah. all just jam packed watching dudes like in spandex just rep out <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny I mean, it is absolutely hilarious i i think it's it's such a weird like time like it's, it's so weird the combine in and of itself is so weird like i understand like why you do it but to me like none of the things that i think are actually ever shown on tv are the things that actually like matter like you think mm-hmm. about it like all of these guys have already done years and years of prep work on the guys that they're going to see they kind yeah. of have an, just an idea of what they're going to run and how many balls they're going to catch and how many like yeah. how many reps they're going to do on bench press but to finally actually get to meet them and talk to them and even if it is for just 15 minutes but to get a feel for these guys that they want to bring in that to me is the most important all right. Well, at Tori underscore McElhaney on Twitter, uh, please go follow all of her work uh, on AtlantaFalcons.com. Really looking forward to seeing how many reps you put up in the bench press this year. Tori, <laughs> so go catch your flight and uh, enjoy Indy. Awesome. Thank you so much. That will do it for today's episode. Again, a big thanks to Tori for hopping on before catching her flight out to Indianapolis. Um, it's going to be a fun week to watch. Honestly, I think that the team meetings... That's really what these teams are are there for. And we are starting to see that as they can maybe get them other places or in more creative ways, maybe being there to watch somebody bench press isn't as important as just you can get the raw data like they're going to send it out to you. You're going to be able to go to NFL.com and see how these guys did at the combine. So I think that's fascinating, but it's still a fun event for the fans. It's still uh, really cool to see a guy like Trayvon Walker just shoot up the draft board and, and just become kind of this mythological draft prospect after going into the combine, you know, he was impressive, but I don't think we were talking about him quite like that. So I'm really curious to see if anybody emerges um, in that fashion this week. So we'll stay tuned. Um, But thank you guys again for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. We really uh, do appreciate it growing, trying to do bigger things, but we need your help to make that happen. So tell your friends, tell your family to find us on their favorite podcast platform Um, Next week, I will be joined by my pals, Kevin Knight and Aaron Freeman to divert a little bit away from the draft for a quick second because we got free agency coming up. So we're going to kind of preview free agency in a little bit of an interesting and fun way. Uh, So stay tuned next Wednesday for that. But as always, today's podcast was presented by Bet Online. I'm Will McFadden. You can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. Simple enough. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Until then, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.